Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the number one resource for actors and talent seekers. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, and I'm here to guide you through every aspect of the entertainment industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. These intimate, inspirational conversations with today's most award-worthy film, television, and theater artists provide you, dear listener, advice on how to live the creative life, personal stories of success and failure alike, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. doesn't matter where you're from, what your background is, how I've come upon you, if you're good, if you're right, if the audition was good, you get the opportunity. Elise Roth, how are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Um, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? Well, Senior editor Elise Roth. <laughs> Is that your uh, title? Yeah, that's my title. Um, Lovely. I think probably like a lot of people, I'm spending a lot of time at home, a lot of time yes. in front of the computer. So there's not too much new, but I'm glad Probably at too least much screen time. There's a lot of screen time. I'm trying to yep. break up the screen time with Good. some walks in the neighborhood, but same. It has been a very productive few months for watching TV. Speaking about the topic of today's podcast episode, speaking to that, um, you have watched, I assume, The Handmaid's Tale, Dead to Me, and The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I have. And the other reason, I mean, obviously, for, for listeners who don't know, Elise, thank you for booking me the interviews in today's podcast, first of all. You're very uh, welcome. Because the stars of today's episode, the guests in today's episode, are the Emmy-nominated casting directors of Dead to Me, The Handmaid's Tale, and Marvelous Maisel. And Elise, you know them, or you have spoken to them at least once, maybe several times? Yes. Yes, I've spoken to... Well, should we introduce, should I go ahead and name them? Go for um, it. I've yeah. spoken to Cindy Tolan before mm, she yeah. was in the, the throes of casting Steven Spielberg's West Side Story at the time. Amazing. So we yeah. had a great conversation a couple of years ago, and I spoke with um, Sharon Bialy and Sherry Thomas last year after they had cast the act. And mm. they recently appeared, well, Sherry Thomas and another one of their casting directors at Bialy Thomas. Russell Scott appeared on the slate uh, to talk about their work on Dead to Me. But then they also, you know, they have so much TV work that they also talked about other projects they do, including Handmaid's Tale and also The Walking Dead and Breaking Bad. And Breaking Bad. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about with both of these casting directors. I could have talked for hours. They have so many fascinating things to say. So much advice to offer actors. Yes, and it's... they. Their job is kind of interesting because if you, if you're yeah. a, I mean, I guess directors on TV shows kind of jump around, but if you're, if you work in lighting, if you're a writer, if you're a showrunner, you're working, your whole life is a show. 
And if you're a casting yeah. director, you can be casting a bunch of shows at once. And once the show ends, you're continuing. You can just cast all the time. And these people yeah. do. So they're constantly seeing actors. They're constantly watching things. They're constantly seeing auditions. And they have been doing this for, in many cases, that like we're talking about, for decades. And when you have several yeah. people in your office that are all doing this at all times, these people are talking about actors for more hours of their lives than they're not. <laughs> Completely. Like, it boggles my mind the amount of submissions they get for any number of roles for something like Maisel, for example. Mm-hmm. But also, like, how much TV they must watch. Yes. And theater and film and even comedy. And they go to showcases and they, they keep up with actors at every level in every area. They have to. But from the casting director's perspective, they really are testing out actors and getting a feel for them and getting to know them better because down the line, there's going to be a part that is perfect for them. Right. That's why they say to book the room, book the room because statistically the the role, the role is not what you're going to be getting. If you're very lucky, you'll, you will book the role or you'll get a callback for the role. Yeah. And when you, but when you go into a room and you show that you've done the work and you've prepared and you've made a choice and you, so depending on what the role is, you take a risk, even if you're not right, even if, you know, yeah. even if you are right, but you're 5'10 and you're going to be acting opposite someone who's 5'6 and the oh, per- and you're supposed to be shorter. So you can't get the role, even if your performance yeah. was great, you doing a good job in the room is going to keep you on their list and going to keep you in yep. mind. And that's the interesting thing because casting directors people don't talk to them that often and they're always, they always have their head down. They're always doing work. And it see it's funny because when sometimes actors will quote come out of nowhere, but for casting directors, it's almost never that situation. Sometimes someone could be new on the scene and come out of nowhere. But for the most part, these casting directors have been seeing these people in auditions for years and finally yeah. they find the right role for the person or finally the person has grown as an actor or as a performer mm-hmm. enough that they're, it's, they're, it's finally their time to have a lead role. That means that these, these actors do stay on their radar. Yeah, there's the root of that relationship. It is about staying on the radar. And like, uh, I believe all three of these in these interviews, the, these casting directors really make the point that like, they, I mean, it, they explain what they do, but they, then they also kind of make the point of like, we are doing what we do. Like you can have faith in us that we are doing the research and we are keeping you on our radar. And if you're doing great work, we will see it. And as you're saying, like they will get called in down the line or they will see that you've grown. I mean, that's what's so cool about like creating relationships with casting directors. That's fascinating. Yeah. And it, it's it's not necessarily setting them a bouquet of flowers after you get an audition with them it can be really just continuously showing up when you're invited to audition and doing a good job and having faith that if they're inviting you in there's a chance that you could get this role and that if they're if they continue to invite you in then there's a reason they want to keep seeing you they're not just doing Mm -hmm. it for fun it's your time it's their time yeah that yeah they're not going to be just doing it because they want to give it a try there's something about you as an actor that they want to continue to see just if have the confidence you know stick with it and if you keep putting out good work and showing that you're working hard then 
the casting director is going to respond to that. And it's it's also just cool to bring it back to these three interviewees, like Maisel, Dead to Me, and Handmaids. Those are three of like the most amazing prestige shows out there. So actors listening to this, to hear the perspective of these specific casting directors, I think is going to be really valuable. And again, maybe you'll end up auditioning for them and creating that relationship with them where they're keeping tabs on you. It's, I mean, I think that the selection of the... Bialy Thomas team and Sidney Tolan's good New York LA split. And they both uh, are yeah. great examples because they've both done film and TV and they've both done comedy and drama, which mm-hmm. show you, if you get in front of a casting director like that, they, their projects are so wide ranging that if you have a great audition totally. or if you just have a good showing, then that is a, that's such an advantage for you as an actor because these people, yeah. you know, Cindy Tolan cast for Tina Fey as in addition to uh-huh. obviously Steven Spielberg and for Maisel. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, okay, well, that's a wide range. Yeah. And then like we, just, like I just talked about before, Bialy Thomas, they have done everything from breaking bad to dead to me and Barry and, Handmaid's Tale obviously is a completely different tone and it's just, that's all over the place in a good way. And it's like, as an actor, that nothing could be better than getting in front of someone who has their hands in so many different types of projects. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it just keeps coming back to like, be it self tape or in person or whatever, like the casting directors, they want to see the best work. They are seeing the best work. And so actors, that's what you got to really focus on is whatever the medium is, just put your best foot forward because that is that future investment into a future role that we're talking about for sure. Right. And especially if you don't really have a lot of work to show a casting director, you know, professional work, casting directors want to be able to find you. So especially while we're all at home and there's not that much going on and even actors that are on professional projects Hmm. a lot of them aren't really doing much right now they if there's all these videos going around there's all these new like easy video platforms that are super shareable make your own content do you know practice being on camera for that time you do get a call to do a self-tape it's you know Mm -hmm. there's never been a better time to kind of just mess around with what your phone has to offer and and Hmm. flex the acting muscles and do some kind of performing, even if no one's ever going to see it, even if you're not going to post it. But if you do post sure. it, that makes you discoverable for casting directors and their assistants and their associates who are always browsing and always have their eyes open for yeah. new talent. Yeah. Oh, that's great. It's really, really good to hear. Listeners, go check out Elise's writing on Backstage.com. We will share a link to, uh, for all of those features that you mentioned, but also just the In the Room series. Yeah. I can link yeah. to in the room. And um, yeah, let's let's go hear it. Any parting words? Just thank you for having me on to chat about it. You know that I'm always here to uh, talk up the work of passing directors and I'm excited to hear you talk to one instead of just hearing me talk to one. Uh, yeah, to and in the podcast medium take. too. Yeah, I'm excited to hear where yeah. this conversation took you. Totally. We'll hear from Cindy Tolan first and then we're, we're, we're taking a break between these interviews. The second interview is a joint interview between Sharon and Sherry, and you should be able to uh, differentiate between the two. So, so thank you, Elise. And um, let's take a quick break and get to it. Thank you. Thank you. 
This episode is brought to you by HBO's hit sci-fi drama Westworld, the third season of which explores questions about the nature of our reality. Hailed by Decider as a technical masterpiece, and currently nominated for 11 Emmy Awards, including Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Drama Series for Jeffrey Wright, and Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Drama Series for Tandy Newton, consider HBO's Westworld. Cindy Tolan is the winner of five Ardeus Awards and a Primetime Emmy for her work in casting. Her career spans New York theater, TV, and film, from Avenue Q and The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, to Flight of the Concords and Unbreakable Kimi Schmidt, to Straight Outta Compton, If Beale Street Could Talk, and the forthcoming West Side Story film. Cindy is currently Emmy-nominated again for Amy Sherman Palladino's The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Season 3. Here's our deep dive with casting director Cindy Tolan. Start us off by letting you know, letting listeners know what is it that you do? What is your job title and what does that entail? Oh, such always a difficult question, but always a good yeah. one that I never have a ready answer. So we'll just see. But um, I'm a casting director uh, for film, television and theater occasionally. Yes. Yes. Um, and the way that I see it is as uh, I do see it as an as an artist is mm-hmm. part of uh, part of the art making of the mediums, um, just like a production designer, a lighting designer, you know, costume designer. That we fulfill the vision of uh, the creators and the and the directors and the showrunners. And if this is specifically about Maisel, then that's you know, then that is I am there to fulfill the vision of Amy Sherman. Palladino and Dan Palladino through casting. And that mm. means casting actors for the parts that they've written. To, to, so to, to fulfill their storytelling vision. Which I, which we love. I mean, that's exactly what I feel like backstage is all about is highlighting how to fulfill that vision and like treating casting like the art form that it is. <laughs> well, there's this great documentary um, that uh, that's out called Casting By. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is about the art form of casting and, and the yeah. history of it and how it happened. And it, it starts to span from Marion Dougherty, who is really an amazing artist, um, all the way up till today. And mm-hmm. if, if anybody is interested, I really highly recommend it because because it is an art form and it starts to yep. starts to peel away and explain and show and illustrate how that is. Because I find that people really have a hard time mm. making that jump and the connection of, well, but it's people. So how is that art? You know, mm. I can understand if it's a costume. I can understand if it's a light. I can understand if it's sound, kind of, you know. Yeah. But I can't understand uh, casting. Mm. And I'm just that it is fulfilling the vision by telling, helping them tell their stories. Wonderful. That's such a perfect, I mean, that's what a perfect way to kick off like this deep dive <laughs> into casting that I want to get at. So this is perfect. Great. Um I would love to hear, like, take me back to the beginning. What? How did you get involved in this 
in this area? For me, with regards to casting, I was, you know, this was a long time ago. And so it wasn't really seen as a profession when I got involved in it. Mm -hmm. But I feel like that has changed now. I feel that people do know that it's a profession. And I think that the visibility and I think that people are starting to understand that, oh, no, actually, that is something I can aspire to be and know that it's a profession and know that it's an art form and choose that that's the craft I want. Um, but back when I was starting, it wasn't really like that. And everything back then about casting was you fell into it. Um, and so I was, I knew I wanted to do art in some way and I didn't know in what capacity. So I tried everything. I tried directing and then I tried writing. I never tried acting. That's the one thing I never tried. I never, (laughs) I knew I didn't have it. You know, I knew I didn't have the courage. I knew I wasn't brave. I knew I didn't have the talent and I was just always in awe of the people who did. So I just never even wanted to, to dip a toe into that world. But I also, also was, you know, organized. And so, and I, so eventually I figured out that I wanted to be a dramaturg. Oh, cool. Okay. But then I realized, and then that's where the like, you know, business part of me came in. It was just like, well, is there really a place for dramaturgs in all the art forms that you're interested in? Like, because I was also very interested in film. I always was interested in film for me as the ultimate. But then, of course, life happens and and art changes and everything changes. So back then it was all about film for me. And Really, it was about vicinity because I grew up um, on Long Island. And so New York was always closer to me. New York City was closer to me than Los Angeles. So I just thought, well, my way in is through theater to then bridge to film. Because at that time, the only way you could cross over into film um, and theater was through casting and not anything else. Now it's all so easy, but this we're talking about 25 or 30 years ago and there wasn't the crossover. It wasn't as easy to go over those lines, but for casting you could. And also in Hollywood at that time, I would say that theater, you know, you looked at casting directors on the East coast in New York with theater and they were just like, Oh, that's substantial. They must be good. Oh, okay. You know, <laughs> there was a, the oh. Uber East Coast, you know, uh, New York theater scene was a big deal and gave nice. you cachet or gave or established you as just like, oh, they must know what they're doing. They must have an inside scoop or inside track on art or talent or that pool anyway. And so I fell into casting that way. And so back, back then I was, I had two part-time jobs. I worked for Wendy Wasserstein as her personal assistant. And I worked. No way. Yeah, sure. Yep. 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 (laughs) For years. Yeah. Okay. That's so cool. Dear friend, you know, and so, uh, just amazing, just an amazing experience. And I was also working with Rebecca Miller, who is this incredible filmmaker. Yes. Um, 
And uh, so I had both of these jobs. And with Rebecca, I was working really like as a dramaturg on her movie scripts. Uh-huh. And we became friends too. And so with my background with both of them, uh, it led me into casting because a job became available at Lincoln Center Theater in the casting department. I progressed into associate at Lincoln Center, and I was there for a couple of years, then um, went to the public for a brief period as a third casting director with Heidi and Jordan under George Wolf and Rosemary Tischler. That mm. phased out because they were they woke up and they were like, we only need two. Oh. And then I uh, went and did the Vineyard Theater casting stuff. I was casting director for the Vineyard Theater while I was D- uh, Doug Abel's film associate. And then there I did the second Rebecca Miller film that then like just culminated in a huge success at Sundance. Then I got a John Sayles independent film and Avenue Q was moving from the vineyard to Ah. Broadway. So it was this huge culmination (laughs) where I'm like, maybe I'll just start my own shingle. And then I just started casting on my own. I was going to ask you about that because it's, I I knew that all of these things were happening at the same time, but First of all, in the art of casting, you're saying that, you know, back then it was like casting was the one way to transfer from one to the other. Is that just because in terms of the art of casting, it's the most similar between the two mediums? No, I think that the link is the actor. I I think that's the the link, right? So that, um, you know, if you look back then, it was Law & Order SVU, and every Mm. single New York actor was on Law & Order SVU, right? right? And that was the one show that we had, but you could always see that. And I think slowly, you know, it's not like today, but slowly they were like, oh, there's this incredible pool of talent in New York that we're not really, really pursuing and using, You know, and so then they and then Hollywood was just like, there's this whole other area and arena of talent that we can be exploring. And so film and uh, well, TV specifically would then hire a New York casting person to fill out the L.A. portion. And is there a difference for you speaking of the of, you know, from the actor's perspective, you know, an actor listening to this might want to know. Auditioning for you, is there a difference between film and TV in the sense of like, are you detecting that certain actors are a better fit for one or the other? Or can any actor do both in your mind? I think ultimately everyone can do everything. It's just, it takes time sometimes to adjust to the mediums, you know, so that Uh frankly, I have to say it's all difficult so actors are amazing. It's all difficult. Theater is so hard. Like yeah. theater is so hard in yeah. all ways. It's so hard. It's so worthy and it's so worthwhile, but it's all so difficult because of the stamina that you need. Yes. Um, and if you look at musicals, that is even off the charts. You know, that is just crazy. Eight times the dancing, the singing, just, and the acting, you know, uh, eight mm. times a week. You're just like, it's it's awe-inspiring to think about it. Um, and so also you have to remember that um, when you do film and TV, there is a camera. 
And the camera is a whole other mm. animal. Um, and sometimes, mm. you know, if you can act in front of a camera, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can do it uh, on stage and vice versa. And so I think it's just about adjusting and, and adapting to each specific medium that you're you're working in. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, like an actor who is new to film work, for example, you cast them in a film. I mean, eventually they'll, they'll get used to it, right? There's totally. an adjustment period. And then, yeah. Totally. I mean, for example, it's just like, it's really an amazing thing, like with Amy Sherman Palladino or anybody yeah. who, you know, t- who hires people who have never done a TV show before for the first time and do Maisel, she does it. And also that is yeah. amazing because, you know, uh, it's it's that you know um they don't they won't know the blocking they won't know how to start mm. you know unless they hear action you know, sometimes the action is drowned out and then they don't know how to start you know right. and then you just go and you can ruin a whole take for for like you know the entire cast because you didn't yeah. hear the ad go action you know, <laughs> yes. and same with same with theater. If a film and TV person actor has never done theater before, how do they know when to start the scene if they don't hear action? Because we don't do action in theater, right? <laughs> just a little minutia, you know. It is, and it's like it's 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 just important to get experience in all in all areas. And how awesome that you, I just love that dramaturgy was maybe the main drive there, but for you, your inspirations and your, your direction were never acting, but always like the kind of realms around acting. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like casting, like really called your name in a way. Yeah. Oh, well, I also, I love reading the script. I love figuring mm-hmm. out what the vision is after reading the script through conversation with the creator, the filmmaker, the show creator, you know, um, and, and then they flush out what it is. And then you're like, Oh my God, that makes so much. It's like such a high, you know, to, you're solving a puzzle. Yeah. And to talk through the script and to talk through what they, they're thinking of, you dramaturgically what their themes are, why they're there, you know, when you start to talk about race, when that comes in, when it doesn't, you know, all these things, Mm. disability, when that doesn't, you know, it's like, you know, it doesn't reflect the world that we're living in today. And if not, can I Mm. introduce that to a new creative person and say, well, have you thought of this person for this role? And they're like, well, how would that work? I'm like, what do you mean? How would that work? You just do it. You're the creator of the show. (laughs) Do it, make it work. (laughs) That's so cool too. Like sometimes your job is to help creators think outside the box. Totally. That's awesome. I mean, That's you know, the world is doing that for us now, but back when we started, it was just the public doing it, you know, and that was non-traditional ah. casting. That wasn't like conscious casting. <laughs> casting as a as an experimental like let's take it in a new direction. Yeah, now it's You mentioned spe- race. Yeah, well now it's specific that now if you do something, you need to be conscious about what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Can I ask what is a day about the day to day? Like, what does a typical day look like? And also, I mean, I we have to address 
what has changed since the pandemic? What does a day look like for you now as opposed to then? I think it's interesting now in a pandemic, it's that um, it's the same yet it's vastly different, right? So I'm mm. so right now we're currently working on um, everything is now in pre-production. Anything that I'm not working yeah. on, anything that's in production. And the marvelous Mrs. Maisel is working on when it's going back into production. Mm. But I'm putting together, you know, um, casts for two uh, TV shows. And what that means is everybody is auditioning. All actors are auditioning on tape, mm-hmm. um, which is really difficult and really hard for the actor because suddenly they're like a film director, a cinematographer, a lighting designer and all of that. Yeah. But I think that, the, you know, really, I think for the actors to know that none of that really matters as much as just what they're doing. You know, that the world has changed so rapidly and radically that I don't, you know, the aesthetics of what you're shooting, how you're shooting, it's okay to send in your self tape and not to freak out about it and not to be like, I have to go out and buy a thousand dollars worth of equipment because as an actor, it shouldn't cost you any money to audition. No, ideally, yeah, totally. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It shouldn't. And that's always been the thing. Um, You know, it's like trying to to get a job and trying to do your art is hard enough, you know, and then you suddenly don't have to, like, have a second job, spend your hard-earned money on, like, uh, an Alexis camera that's, you know, $10,000. And also everyone who is good is able to see the audition and, and without all the bells and whistles. And right. so that's okay. number, number one. And I, and I, um, and so everything is done from home. Um, and, and, but it's the same in that everybody, uh, auditions, everybody watches the audition. If mm. there's an adjustment to be made, you know, then we can, you know, send a note th- via the agent to make an adjustment and ask them to retape, mm. um, and then the creative see it. And then it's, so it's the same process. It's now okay. just on video and mm-hmm. we'll see, we'll see how, if that changes the process, you know, and if, you know, if people get used to this now and if this becomes the new normal, as mm-hmm. everyone says, or if this is just, you know, the world is happening and we organically will just need to go with the world and how it's evolving. The world is happening. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it is. Yes. I look the world is happening. That's such a good way of putting it. <laughs> it's a safe way of saying it all. Right. So but, and, and before this, there were self-tapes, of course, but but mostly it's about being in the room. Well, again, it was changing so rapidly. Like when I was casting, you know, the film of West Side Story, you know, Mm -hmm. I did audition 30,000 people plus auditioned. Mm -hmm. A lot was in person, but most of it was on tape until the very final Mm. round. Yeah. Um, 
and you know and that's when then people were in person mm-hmm. um but so every single videotape every single audition tape was viewed and that was like 30,000 plus you know and wow. so if you're good at your job you're good at your job and everybody is seen and if you're not good at your job then you know I can't attest to what other people do but anytime an actor auditions for me however they audition I see it we see it gotcha. it's not wasted and we remember everybody for the next job we're working on. So, you know, my perfect example is David Alvarez in West Side Story, and he got the role of Bernardo, and Mm -hmm. we remembered seeing David Alvarez as 10 years old and Billy Elliot and winning a Tony. Cool. You know, and he gets that part. And so an audition is never wasted. That's that's always good to hear. And we've heard that from actors, too, that really an audition is an investment in in a future role. Maybe even statistically, like. Absolutely. I also think an audition is a way of, you know, being able to do your art, even if it's for 10 minutes, like you're able to, to, Mm. to come in and rather than look at it as getting the job, I know it's easy for me to say this, but rather than looking at it as a way of, of, of getting a job, it's a way of, for those 10 minutes to collaborate and do the art. Hmm whatever material you're working on, you're able to, to artistically express yourself. Mm. And we've heard it on this podcast before the advice of treat it like you have the job, like you've already earned the role and, and really own it in that way. Like, is that sort of how you think of it? Like pretend that you have the job and that, like you say, collaborate with the people in the room in that moment. I just think I have two things. I just think trust yourself fully just trust yourself fully there's so much Hmm. about the business most that you can't you can't you cannot control anything that has to do with the business it's show business yeah right you can't control it and so what i always find is that actors were like you know shoot i didn't do my best job it was so much better when i did it at home if i had just five minutes if i could have read you know if i read i'm like throw all of that out when you walk out, you you know, you can't, as an actor, do it all and be it all and turn yourself into a pretzel and and hmm. and get the part. There's so all of it is out of your control. The only mm-hmm. thing that you can do is to come in and just enjoy the fact that you have the opportunity to work on this material, whatever it is. That fully answered. I mean, that was that's beautiful because we ask audition advice all the time and it's cool to hear it echoed, but you're also saying it sort of differently because from your perspective, well, I mean, the, the other thing I was going to ask is about self tapes, but I, it sounds like you answered that too, because like the equipment doesn't matter. You're saying it's the craft is first and foremost for you and that you will recognize it regardless of the bells and whistles. Totally. And so for the actor, similarly in any audition, it's less about the, packaging and it's more about like the craft 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 in that moment did you give the best performance and to trust you know and look not everybody you know everybody works differently every casting director works differently but when you're auditioning for something for me and and you know my my associate and my assistant and my staff like ann davison and nick petrovich trust us I'm going to be the first person to watch that audition. So if I think that you, you're going to need to retape it, I'm going to tell you. Gotcha. 
And so just trust the fact that it's just like, if you send it in as it is, and you're worried that it's not good enough or whatever, take the onus off of yourself and put it on me because I will tell you through your agent what needs to happen if anything needs to happen. Otherwise, it's great. Otherwise, it's great. It's like trust yourself and trust you. Yeah. Well, I'm on your team. It's just, I think the other thing, I think the other thing about actors is that they don't understand that we want to cast the role. We also don't want to spend three weeks casting a part if we know we can cast it in two days. Yeah. (laughs) You know? So again, it's another way of looking at it, like shift the burden from yourself as the actor, because it's hard enough just to be an actor to the other people, you know? And it's so cool to hear that, especially it's again, from your perspective, it's, it's cool to hear actors should remember that you have a job to do. You would like to be, you'd like to do it as efficiently as possible. So like you, you want them to get the, you want them to be the right person for the job. So it's just like, if we're exactly, it's just not antagonistic at all. No, well, not certainly not with, with me. Right. Right. Totally. Because I, I can just picture or hear the actor's head in their minds being like, well, that's not always the case, Cindy. And sometimes I'm <laughs> working on material that's not always so good. And so, you know, oh, I, sure. I can totally hear it. <laughs> that's so true. Not every actor is auditioning for Maisel. Right. But um, <laughs> it's still an opportunity to learn something. So if it's a one word, hmm. uh, I don't know, if it's a one word role on a horrible TV show, what can you learn from trying something in by auditioning? What do you yeah. want to try out? What do you want to um, try and learn and see if it works or not? Because if it doesn't matter then try something and get something from it for yourself. Well, I was going to say it's uh, the worse the experience, the more you learn from it, but maybe that's not necessarily true. I just think like, it's but you so, can learn from everything. Yeah. And I also think it's so hard to be an actor that you don't need uh, bad experiences if, if it's not necessary because they happen anyway, unfortunately. Yeah. The disappointment, you know, of wanting something and then not getting it and thinking that you, if you had done something differently, you could have changed the outcome. I have to say, it's just, that's, is there any reality to that? Not 99%. It's like, no, it was totally out of your control. Totally out of your control. Totally. I think actors listening to this, that's really, really good to hear. About Maisel specifically, is there something unique to casting Maisel? Because it seems to me <laughs> yeah. like a unique show. I love it. I mean, I love it so much, but yeah. we, all, we call it the um, two things. We call it the Paladino pace because of the rhythm. Oh, cool. Because the verbal skills, right, yeah. and the rhythm. And I think part of that is not just about the pace, but also knowing how they shoot the show, which is that they try to get a lot of things in one take in like really ambitious take yeah Yeah. like so sometimes there's 15 pages that they're trying to do in one camera shot and so if you if you're a person that is a day player on the show like you know part of what ann and i are looking at is you know is there the confidence to be able to do it 
And if Rachel Brosnahan is doing a scene with you, do you have the confidence to mm-hmm. just do the scene for 13 pages? Or are you going to be the person with two lines who kind of fumbled it and then we have to stop? Right. And how do you identify that like quality? Like, is there uh, a quality that a person needs to have? Or is it more about like what something you see in the audition? I, I also think when you're casting actors, you're also casting people. Yeah. You, you're yeah. casting who they are as, as, as the qualities that they innately and naturally possess mm. is also part of what you're casting sometimes. And so I think, um, you know, I just think the more confident and secure you are with yourself and with your craft, yeah. the, the better, better you are. Yeah. Like those qualities. And maybe this is, maybe this is common sense, but you said confidence the qualities that a person should kind of have out of character or like off camera is a sense of collaboration. Uh, maybe just somebody who is kind and not <laughs> yeah. a jerk, you know, and yeah, confidence. Yeah. I think, you know, good language skills are really good uh-huh. for, for the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, you know, I think, yeah. um, and there's a reason why there are a lot of, uh, theater actors that are cast, you know, on right. Maisel, it, it's this, it's the, you know, it's the stamina, it's the yeah, those long comedic, shots. you know, it's the um, comedic timing, you know, there are a lot of people from musicals, if you've noticed, there are a lot of people that have been in musicals that are on Maisel, and there's something yeah. about those two art forms that, you know, um, fill a need with each other, you know. Cool. Um, so the skill set, you know, but that does not mean, but does that, that does not mean that somebody who's never done theater is never going to be on Maisel. So I don't want to say that either. You know, it's hard to ever say one thing without (laughs) it being a blanketed statement. It's like every single person in the world can audition for Maisel, you know, everybody has it and whether or not you get it, that that's up to other people. And you want to be surprised. And it sounds like you have set it up in a way that you can be like you. I love hearing about actors who sweep in and someone that you would never have thought of casting fits the role perfectly. And it sounds like you are open to that phenomenon. Totally. (laughs) Best person for the job gets it. You know? (laughs) Yeah. 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 You know, that's it. Well, and the other question, and I know, I know this has been asked before too, but is there an, is there a misconception? Like what is, and you've mentioned this a couple of times with your very, very helpful advice. I really do think actors listening to this are going to be like, Oh, light bulb moments. But is there something that they maybe have a a misperception about or an aspect of your job that they don't, that you wish more people understood? Yeah. I think, uh, there's one thing that comes to mind, which is just like, there's no such thing as a gatekeeper. Just there just isn't. Okay. Okay. I know everyone's going to be like, well, what does that mean? You know, and, uh, or I disagree, but again, I think it goes back to me, which is best person gets the job. And so it doesn't matter where you're from, what your background is, how I've come upon you. If you're good, if you're right, if the audition was good, you get the opportunity. Totally. Are you allowed to answer the question, do you have a favorite actor? 
I don't have favorite actors. Okay. I don't have favorite actors. Anybody who's talented, I love. Yeah. And um, and uh, and that means like, oh well. So if I'm not talented, you don't love me. Like, what's talent? So many things are talent. You know. Right. Okay. I don't. I want to say one thing. I want to say one thing. I don't have an example right off the top of my head about you know if I didn't think someone was right, but then they surprised me and they got it. But what I do have is an example of like for the role of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel for the role of May this year. You mm-hmm. know, it was the love interest to Joel, um, and I kept saying to uh, Anne and uh, in my office, and I'm just like Stephanie Shue is going to be perfect for this. I know. It. I can yes. feel it. I just know she's going to be great. Is she coming in? Is she coming in? When is she coming in? When is she auditioning? Mm. Um, and and then she got the part. <laughs> she auditioned. So cool. We we auditioned so many amazing, talented women for that part. But at the end of the day, Stephanie Shu did get the part, and I just yeah. knew it. I just knew something about Stephanie was going to be perfect for for it and that Amy and yeah. Dan would respond. And they did. And that's also I'm such a fan of her also. Like, she's so she's, great. She's so amazing. <laughs> and also someone who fits the world of Maisel. And that's more like has to do with like energy. Like that's why it's like hard to define what it is that in my mind makes her a good match, but she is. Oh, and she just uh you know uh enveloped all the qualities she possessed yeah. all the qualities even innately as a person right you know to Paladino to... pace and like <laughs> the theater sense of the big shot and everything yeah. and the timing the timing yeah and the then later timing. on i found out that she and rachel brosnahan went to college together i had no idea you know so that That's is cool. always interesting how that you know falls into into place and then you didn't know Right. And that's, it's sort of, it's just like this idea that talent, what does talent mean? And it means a lot of different things. And I think in, correct me if I'm wrong, in your case, it's talents that, that depend on the role. It depend on everything you're saying about the, the dramaturgical side of things, which I find so cool. The conversations you've had with the director, with the creators, with the talking about the world, even the design of a show, that all comes down to like, in the audition, someone's going to be a great Someone, this person's going to be a great match. This person's not not going to be, and it has less to do with the talent level and more to do with the talents that fit the particular job. Yes, and I also I think like you know we give adjustments. You know uh, we yes. work with the actors and we give adjustments. So if we see something that is appropriate for the role and it's exciting and and even if it's you know we're just like what's happening in this, you know, in this scene, like what is going on on these lines or whatever. And, and sometimes I'm not even, you know, it's just like, I would just, uh, maybe I would tweak it this way, or maybe I would do this or whatever. And you give a note, an actor, they're amazing. Yeah. And, and the, it's true too, that it's in the adjustments. That's when you really see them in the role. It gives you two points of data as opposed to, as opposed to just the audition. Right. Or just the tape. Well, I uh, yeah, I think like you get a lot of of information from mm. from working with somebody and learning about them and the adjustment and what happens with mm-hmm. that and all of that. Because that's also when you can see their off your quote unquote off camera qualities. Yeah, or just um, 
who they are as people, right? Like you get a sense, a glimmer, a glimpse cool. of, of them. Wonderful. Uh, this is so cool to hear about. Um, we always ask for, you know, for actors, we always ask like, what is one, one piece of advice you would give your younger self? Do you have a, do you have a similar thing? Like, is there something that you wish you'd known at the beginning of your career? Uh, honestly, just be kind to yourself. It's going to yes. be okay. Yes. Just be kind to yourself because the world is hard enough and you don't yeah. need to do it yourself to yourself. Yes. <laughs> just be kind. That's so good to hear. Cause yeah. that's just true of any, any profession, any walk of life. It's true. Oh, it really is. It's just like, it's not hard to be nice. And in fact, it's so much harder <laughs> to be generous when you don't have anything than when you do have anything. So it's just, mm. just be kind. Be kind to others and be kind to yourself. To I mean, yourself. I mean, actors absolutely. need to know that so much yeah. where it's just like, we see you, we love you, see yourself and love yourself. Uh, <laughs> that's so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. This has yeah. been so nice. Is there, are there any other, um, any other words of wisdom, anything that uh, actors listening to this should know? No, I just admire you all so much. That honestly is, I think that's really, really good to hear. Like you and the audition room are sitting there admiring that, that someone is. It's incredible. Talented. It's, it's yes, what a gift. Totally. What a gift every day. You know, what a gift. I could never do it. <laughs> Me either. I like could never saying. do it. <laughs> never do it. Hats yeah. off. You know? Hats off. Exactly. Exactly. All right, Jack. Well, Cindy, thank you so much. This is so lovely. No, thank you. Yeah, and and break a leg at the <laughs> Emmys, I guess. It's all just really nice to be in the conversation. Completely. <laughs> and um and a strange year, of course. I mean, you will not be attending, I don't think, no, any events. That's okay. <laughs> we'll watch it from our home in our pajamas yay that's nice that is nice <laughs> this episode of in the envelope is brought to you by hbo's acclaimed drama euphoria which follows a group of high school students as they navigate love and friendships in a world of drugs sex trauma and social media Critics hail the series as downright gorgeous and truly remarkable. Season 1 is now nominated for six Emmy Awards, including Outstanding Lead Actress in a Drama Series for Zendaya. Consider Euphoria. Sharon Bialy and Sherry Thomas are celebrating a 20-year partnership at their award-winning casting company, Bialy Thomas & Associates. Sharon is known for casting Rudy, Point Break, and Mr. Holland's Opus, while Sherry got her start on the film Contact. Together, they've cast Broadway and Los Angeles theater, indie and blockbuster films, and dozens of TV hits, including Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, The Walking Dead, Barry, The Righteous Gemstones, The Twilight Zone, and The Act and are nominated at the upcoming Emmy Awards for their work on Netflix's Dead to Me and Hulu's The Handmaid's Tale. Here are Sharon Bialy and Sherry Thomas.
Sharon and Sherry, how are you guys? What's going on? How are you guys these days? We're hot. We have our biggest heat wave <laughs> in the history of California, but we're surviving. Yeah, good. Two kids at home that just started LAUSD yesterday. That's really fun. Wow, yeah. Yeah. And uh, started on a new project, and it's we're very happy to be working, but it is a challenge when everybody is working from their cell phones. And you actually learn mm -hmm. where every agent's assistant is from because they're the cell phone comes up and it says Florida, Philadelphia, all these places. Totally. So yeah, that's a so challenge, but uh, it feels good to have production starting back up given the long break we've had. Yeah, really tumultuous times. It's uh, this interview would have been a completely different interview in winter, of course, and then in summer, and now production's slowly starting back up. Congratulations on your Emmy nominations, by the way. Thank, Thank you. you. Much, much Thank deserved. You. Thank you. Um, this episode of this podcast, we, you know, we usually talk to actors. We're backstage, of course. You know backstage. You know Elise Roth, who's interviewed mm -hmm. you both. Mm -hmm. But um, this podcast is mostly dedicated to actors, and we wanted to take the opportunity to really do a deep dive on casting. And of course, I want to ask you guys both about specifically Handmaids and Dead to Me. But first, what are the, what are the broad strokes here? Can I ask each of you, like, what do you do in a day-to-day -day and... Um, Maybe like, what is the, what is your favorite part about casting? I mean, why casting? Who would like to go first? <laughs> hmm. This is Sharon. We're going to talk about day-to-day pre-COVID, okay? Because that's yeah. where the experience lies. And I yeah. think I probably can speak for Sherry on this. Our favorite part of casting is being in the room with actors. Gotcha. We chose this profession because we love actors and we love cinema and we love storytelling uh, on television, theater, on the big screen. So the exciting part is when you get to be in the room with actors. And the other exciting part is when you read a script and you talk to the people who created the script and you start to come up with ideas and you flesh things out and you challenge yourself and you challenge them. And sometimes the worst idea turns out to be the best idea. And mm. that's where the creativity comes in. And I think Sherry and I, have a spectrum in our casting where we see people we've never met before, people whose work we admire, and then people whose work who are at a level where they may not be auditioning anymore that you can think of. So we kind of love to dip into each part of the spectrum. Mm, very cool. And Cherry, what about you? Yeah. Um, everything Sharon just said. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I, you know, I think that, I mean, you definitely have to have a passion for it. I think there's a misconception that it is sitting, you know, very um, fancy in a room, really pretty all the time, not sweating, reading with <laughs> actors all day, very fancy actors. And, you know, that's a piece and a part of it, but it's very, very hard work. It's, um, mm -hmm. it's a craft. And I think that gets forgotten about. And Yes. When it gets to the point where, you know, the stars of the show um, that necessarily weren't attached to the show prior to us coming on are interviewed, um, it, it typically um, is all about the producers and how that relationship got cultivated. But prior to that, um, it's likely that we had the, the relationship and was part, mm. a very big part of that process. Um, our job is to 
that is our job is cultivating relationships with actors and really understanding um, the, the depth of their work mm. and try, 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 try again. I mean, there are actors that, you know, have come in for us in the double digits, well into the double digits and never booked anything with us. Yeah. But we keep trying because we believe, you know, um, in who they are and in their talent. Um, so it's a lot of administrative work, you know, you are, sometimes it's casting director slash producer. We are producing quite a bit on a day to day, um, juggling schedules of actors. If there's somebody that we really, really want and they're not available and we're like, what does that mean? They're not available. I bet we can make this work. And we get in there if we feel they're the perfect person and we're passionate about it and we try to, you know, make it work. Yeah. And you mentioned misconceptions. I, I, I do like asking, especially with casting directors, is there like, is there a one top misconception that maybe actors have about your jobs? Yeah, I think sometimes they think that we really, some, not all, but, you know, I think that, um, that we're so hard to get into um, that, you know, why can't I just get an audition? Why can't I just get in there? Hmm. And um, we're we're very open. We don't only see actors that have agents and managers. We um, go down many different avenues to, to find the right talent. Um, it's all about the work. Yeah. So it isn't about, you know, the perfect headshot. It isn't about the perfect agent or manager. It's, it's really about the work. And if the work is there and we see the work, that's yeah. what's going to inspire us to you know, bring you in and make you a, a, a part of our world, hopefully, hmm. if that work in the room is good. Hmm. And along with that misconception, I totally agree with Sherry, is I don't think actors realize how many people are being submitted for each role. Hmm. So somebody hmm. says, you can never get into that office. Well, when you have one role and you're getting 1,200 submissions, yeah. one part, and Sherry and I, or whoever is working, we work in teams, Hmm. So if it's The Handmaid's Tale, but, you know, the team is Stacia Kimler and Russell Scott, Sherry and I. If it's Dead to Me, it's hmm. Sherry, Russell, and... Russell, Katie, Alyssa. Katie and Alyssa. So yeah. between the team, we're looking at everything, but with only so much time in a day, you do have to make choices. It's sort mm-hmm. of like the editor. You have to edit out certain things, and it, it isn't like your favorites or who you like or who you met at a restaurant. It's really about looking at the work, looking at what's on the page, looking what's going to work if you only have eight days to cast an episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How did you both, how did each of you get involved in the first place in casting? I moved to LA when I was 22 with 150 bucks in my pocket and I kind of stumbled into it. I didn't know anybody in LA. I'm from Massachusetts and I knew that I belonged in the industry and the easy thing would have been to go to New York, I guess. Um, Mm. But that was just sort of too close. If it wasn't Mm -hmm. working out, I could always go home and, you know, be a manager at the gap. Um, Mm -hmm. And I um, started volunteering for an organization, the pediatric, Pediatric AIDS Foundation, um, helping to um, raise money, and it was for Mary Jo Slater. Um, mm-hmm. And in that office was Mary Jo Slater and Victoria Burroughs. And Victoria Burroughs, I just I, I understood the energy in the casting office. I just I I uh-huh. got it, and 
I loved it. So I felt like it's being, a, you know, it's a part of the industry in terms of the performance part, but it's a little more tangible. And it's also yeah. a little bit more, um, you know, coming from a retail background, that's a business, it's running a business also. And mm. um, so she said, when you're done doing what you're doing and you want to intern, I was like, great. So I interned for her um, two days a week. And then my first job was the location casting assistant on the movie contact. And I, I just, I loved it. And then that led me to, um, sending my resume to Sharon, um, for a pilot that she was going to be doing and the rest is history. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. And we will be celebrating our anniversary in September of 20 years being 20 years. Is it 20? Yes. Wow. Wow. Yep. That's, That's really awesome. exciting. It's been a great marriage. Sharon married my husband and I. Yeah. Did you really? I did. Yeah. That's so cool. I didn't. I had no idea. That's so awesome. This yeah. is a real 20 years partnership. That's amazing. Yeah. 20 years. Well, it was very strange. I was like, I don't, she was like, can I just be a bridesmaid? And I was like, but that's not, no, <laughs> it's not, that didn't feel right. And I said, would you ever do this? And she was like, yes, I'll get ordained. The the, the Jewish woman will get ordained. <laughs> and, um, I said, I'll get you, I'll upgrade the package. So you get a, like a parking placard. A she knows parking I've always want a parking pass. <laughs> you need the parking pass. Absolutely. Reason enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Sharon, how did you originally get into casting? I was so ahead of Sherry. I had $600 in my pocket when I came out. <laughs> <laughs> and I came via Minnesota. I went to school at the university of Minnesota and I actually minored in theater and dance, and I had great fortune in my senior year of working at the Guthrie Theater for an entire summer. Um, I just got into their program as an actor because the audition happened to have been all improv and dance, and that was my background. Oh, cool. And it was just amazingly inspiring, and I looked around, and they were so talented, and I thought, I want to be in this business, but I better do something else because I'm not that good. Not this. Uh, so I came out to California and I actually started in commercials, but okay. I was a theater nerd as well. Cause I grew up in New York and always went to the theater as a kid and snuck in. And, cool. uh, I ended up bumping into Rick Pagano, who was the person who was doing theater at, uh, the Mark Taper huh. sort of said, we should work together with the two people who like theater. I gave him my card called me the next week and said, I'm going on my honeymoon. Somebody's renting my office. They're doing a movie. They need an assistant. Wow. Call you. So they called me and I was at that point doing pretty well being a commercial casting director. Uh I lied about my experience and got a job. (laughs) And the person called me and offered me $200 a week to work part time. And I was like, that's ridiculous. I'm making money. And I hung up and I thought about it. And I thought, um, this is not the place for me because I mm. was, I didn't have the ability at that time to be creative. If they wanted a white male from 30 to 35, that was it. Uh. And my first job, mm. they didn't fire me, but that's, they want, that's what they wanted. And I brought in Leslie Jordan. They wanted a good looking white male. <gasps> and <laughs> and I brought in Leslie Jordan and he got his equity card and uh, his uh, SAG mm. card. But, um, wow. But, uh, she called, I called her back and I said, if you pay me $250, i will work full time. And she said, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. And I was okay. the assistant on the movie Blue Velvet. Blue Velvet. Blue Velvet and Contact. Those are, those are quite the two first 
big movies. Yeah. So it was a really, mm-hmm. both had a great first experience in terms of something that would affect our aesthetic and our point of view. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also is- the work ethic too. It just, it made it, I don't mm-hmm. know about you, Sharon, but when you're working on movies like that, you know, there's no messing around. Your work ethic has to be like on point. And I think high. that's one of the reason why Sharon and I have um, been so great together is our, our work ethic is exactly the same. And um, we're both like really passionate people and that doesn't waver. So it's funny. We're as different as can be. Everybody says that, um, you know, I can't stay up late at night and <laughs> that kind of thing, but it's, it, a manager just said, I guess I can. <laughs> yeah, a very, a huge stars manager said this to me and it was a great compliment. She said, you and Sherry have a moral center and it's so obvious in the way you run your business and the way you treat actors and everybody in town knows that your office, the people who work there have a moral and ethical code to them and tell the truth. And hopefully that's one of the reasons why the good work yeah. is coming our way. Very cool. That's so good to hear. That's so cool to hear. Especially, I mean, especially considering is the evolution towards TV, is that a big part of this like journey too? Because I consider you both, if you look at the resume recently, especially, it's mostly been TV. Is that where the industry is, has taken you guys or where you wanted to, wanted to be? Well, one of the reasons I wanted to work for Sharon when, you know, when she was looking for somebody was, you know, Mr. Holland's Opus was one of my favorite movies and Rudy. And so she was very cemented in, um, film. Um, but Sharon, you can speak to this, but when I met her, we were doing a pilot together in TV and, um, you know, our lives were very different. I was like, like, get me to where I want to be. Like, get me, I want to, uh, you know, I want to work. I want to, I want to, um, grow. And I want to, I want to be a casting director. I don't I, like, I'm okay. I'm a casting associate, but I want to be a casting director. And so I think that she understood my passion and my energy for it and embraced it and wasn't, um, turned off by it, afraid of it, like none of that. And so, and then I said, and our next job is a play. And she said, a what? (laughs) I was like, she said, oh, I went to Sundance. And I was like, she had gone to Sundance. I knew she, you know, we were at this point working together and she's like, I'm going to go to Sundance. I said, okay, great. I'll be gone this. Here's what, you know, here's what we need to accomplish while I'm gone. Okay, great. And then she came back. She goes, I got, I got us a job. And I was like, great. What movie? (laughs) And she was like, we're going to do a play for the La Jolla Playhouse. And I was like, what? You went to Sundance and you came back with a play? <laughs> and, but cool. I, you know, I had never worked in that area. And that gotcha. taught me so much. We were there for five years. She had already been there with Des. He left. And then when he went back, we went, she went back and I was with her. Mm. And I, it was like school. And yeah. I'm so grateful for it. And it was ha- really, really hard work. But it was so illuminating um, mm. about text and direction and actors. And I just learned so much. I mean, mm. I, I, I probably drove Sharon crazy because all I would do is ask questions about, you know, different theaters sure. and things when you're going through a resume. Um, but I, I think, and Sharon, I'm just going to, like when we, uh, we got a pilot soon after that. And then I was like, okay, let's do another one. And she was like, no. And I was like, let's do another one. Let's do another one. (laughs) And um, so we did a few really, really good um, pieces of work together. And I think the real shift came when Breaking Bad 
um, came to us and, um, we both read the script and we're like, is this for real? Cause this is like amazing. Wow. Um, and we went and we met and yeah. Is that, in, that in is terms great. of like, also, with, well, also with television, as you can see in the past decade, all the great writers and filmmakers are all gravitating. There. And of course, in the last year, television has expanded so much because of cable and so much different storytelling that that really is where great work is. I'm not saying they don't make great movies, but you know, sure. the great movies that are being made are being shown on different cable stations, different media yes. platforms on the big screen, different platforms. Totally. There's a, there's a blurring of the lines here for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And do you guys consider, I wanted to ask about uh, camera work versus stage work. Is there a difference? Is there a difference in terms of um, an actor who is mostly a theater person? Are they, are they going to be considered for on camera work and vice versa? Mm-hmm. Um, and what is the process of casting stage versus screen? Or is it just the same? It's different, but we haven't been doing as much theater of late. And there is a difference in terms of what the actor has to do on camera and pulling things down and making it smaller and understand what the camera reads and that there's nobody in the back of the house. But if you look at our work, it's peppered with so many actors from the theater. You know, just looking at Breaking Bad with, you know, just you can do a who's who of the theater world just from totally that alone and the same with our other shows but it, it ta- it's an adjustment and sometimes it takes actors a while and I think to our credit we have a certain patience with certain actors that we believe will get there sometimes gotcha. it just takes a little while to make that adjustment from going so big to so small and it takes producers or a showrunner who also believes in it you know mm-hmm. And I think that's the love and the passion of us being in the room. I think that there are a lot of, you know, casting directors um, out there now in the community for one reason or another that really are only and have been not just pre-COVID operating in um, in tapes and self tapes. Right. And for us, it's just that's not where that's not the choice of where we want to start. If somebody is in town, we want to see them in the room. If they're not in town, then yes, they can self-tape if the timing isn't going to work. If we're, you know, um, exploring actors and actresses from, you know, all over the world, then of course that would be the option. But even then, we always will say, um, please let us know if you need a conversation before taping for context to run it to, you know, that's Mm. our, it's casting director and you can't direct if you're not with the person. Ah, okay. That's the disadvantage of a tape that you can't give immediate feedback. Correct. Now, having said that, because it's post-COVID, can I ask about the the self-tape advice? Because, of course, I think listeners of this podcast, whether they are just starting out, I mean, some listeners of this podcast are curious about acting and just starting out, or whether they've done it a million times. Like, what are the number one things that actors should remember for a good self-tape? Sound. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Do not have the reader right next to the camera and the reader doesn't need to try to get a job. Calm down. Like, <laughs> oh, I've never like heard be, that. Okay. Yeah. Be there for your friend or whoever it is that you're reading with. And all you have to do is facilitate it. Okay. We, there has never been a time where we were like, Oh my God, who's that the reader? reader. We've got to, you know, try to cast them. <laughs> never. Yeah. Never. And that is not the point. Yeah. Right. Um, and also make sure your eyeline is correct. And you know, there are obvious things that, 
this is a podcast, but right now I'm sitting in front of a bookshelf. You would never want to have that on your tape. You would want to have the wall blank behind you so no one is getting distracted and not Mm -hmm. having a window behind you. And the good thing about a self-tape is you can go watch it and do, you know, a bunch of different takes until you see the take that you believe Mm. works. Um, We often ask people when they self-tape to send two takes, you know, their first instinct and then the second one where they just do much less. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the biggest error that we see is um, actors, even experienced actors, just doing too much in the audition and forgetting that just pretend the camera's really close to you. So never one take and never three takes. It should be two. No, I wouldn't say never. Not never. Okay. But that's probably best. It's probably good to send more than one. Yeah. Cool. Now, what about your Emmy-nominated shows? Is there anything? Is there anything specific to Handmaid's Tale and Dead to Me? I think of as two very um, tonal pieces. That tone is a very important part of maybe of, of populating the world. Correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong. Like, is that something mm-hmm. that you guys think about, especially with like ongoing seasons? You must watch the show as it airs, right? Mm-hmm. And then, oh consider- yeah. Is that a part of it, like considering who would fit into the world of this? Yes, but I think it's also the character and how the character fits into the tone in the world. And then you're really sort of taking, um, you know, the actor, I'll speak to, to Dead to Me, but, um, you know, it's a comedy. Obviously, it's mm-hmm. not a traditional comedy, but you also have Christina Applegate, who was very, very known for comedy. And you have Linda Cardellini, who was, I think, I mean, if you had to pick one or the other, I think she'd be known more for drama. Um, But both of them can do all of it. And within that, give it depth and make it compelling. Mm. So right there's the foundation. And then you've got to surround them with people that can't just go toe to toe with them but maybe give them something to play off of. They oh, shouldn't cool. have to carry everything. So even in these one-line roles, these smaller parts, you have to make sure that they're good actors, that it fits into the tone, and that it's the, you know, it's the, it's the right actor. I, I, I love the soul of the actor with the soul of the character because I think yes. sometimes that's really what it's about. Okay, yes. Um, everything else is hair and eyes and short and tall. And, but... Right. Cool. So often it's just that perfect match. Oh, see, I love that. I love the idea of the souls. It's like it's less about the tone and the environment and more about the actor and the character and not even yeah. necessarily like you're saying, not even similarities, physical right. or otherwise. Yeah. It's about the soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And obviously The Handmaid's Tale is a very different tone than Dead to Me. I was going to mm-hmm. say. <laughs> I think your question, Jack, overall, do we look at the tone... Absolutely. We don't look at it because we're watching the show. We look at it from what's on the page and who you set in the original pilot, you know, and what the actors have to do. So, you know, when you're looking at something like Handmaid's Tale, you know that each character is very complicated. So to speak to what Sherry said, you want to hire an actor a person who's complicated, an actor who's complicated to play a complicated role. You need to hire actors who can say so much with their eyes without moving because 90% of the women we're casting are going to be in a red outfit with a, you know, a cape on it and a bonnet. So what, where are they showing their emotion all in their face? 
and tends to be, you know, you can see what someone's thinking behind the eyes. So that's something that's incredibly important in that show. Hmm. And we look for actors who are creative in their own right so that they can take what's on the page and add to it. If you look at like two of the roles that were recent, like Bradley Whitford, what he does with his character is just astounding. Yes. And the character motivated him because he felt it was such a complicated character that he could access places within himself that he had never done before. Yeah. You know, or you look at Chris Maloney, who was new this season, oh my gosh. doing something that he's not known for. So much of what he brought to it wasn't even on the page. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, that, and the, the moments, guy, the silent moments between he and Joseph Fiennes, it's just yeah. like magic. And it does start with the page and goes from mm-hmm. there. That's mm-hmm. cool to hear. And my other question and Bradley Whitford and I guess Chris Maloney, those are good examples of like, how much are you considering the actor's previous work? And if they're like known for something, if they're particularly famous for a role, how much is that playing into your decision process when it relates to like what the audience is going to bring by seeing, you know, by seeing Bradley Whitford on the screen, I have preconceptions. And then he's surprising me in this role. And that is a part of my viewing experience. Is that a part of the casting process? It's something that you think about, but we're not bringing the actor in because they're famous because you don't want to take people out of the story. So you have to have the trust and belief that after a certain period, short period of time, you as the audience member are going to buy into what he's doing with his character. And I think with Bradley, he'd done so many different roles so much complex layers to what he does in each from West Wing to Get Out. Yeah. That right. you had a certain amount of faith that he would, if he found something fascinating, he would do something fascinating with it. Totally. Oh, okay, cool. And I think that we look at it different than, it, than an audience too. Mm-hmm. We do not, you know, um, pigeonhole. We see them for who they are as the actor. We don't see the characters that they've played. Mm-hmm. And would you say not pigeonholing is part of, part of the mission or part of the job? Yeah. I mean, we've been pigeonholed. So I think that, you know, you really have to, it's, it's anyone's game. You know, we read a lot of people that typically probably wouldn't come in and and read. Um, but because we're always willing to try something different. And, um, I think that we nicely haven't, uh, you know, have a reputation for that. And, um, Mm we're always sort of thinking outside that box. I love that. And are there, are there examples, if you're willing to, to reveal examples, like you mentioned, Leslie Jordan, are there examples of really outside the box? It was a really long time ago. (laughs) True. Is there someone who maybe surprised you or, or you, you were happy to surprise the director or producer with a casting choice? Well, I think there's so many instances where we were happy to surprise our producers with a casting. Yeah, sure, sure. I think when you roll the dice with someone who has never done something like that before, you're, you're taking a chance. But I would say nine times out of 10, the actor will say, oh my God, thank you for believing in me when I didn't even believe in myself. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, I think a, a, a recent um, exciting choice was Henry Winkler in Barry um, okay. for, you know, for, for Cousineau. I don't, you know, he had been laying low for a long time and, um, 
he had been a, a conversation on another show for something. And, um, they said, you know, he'll come in and read. And I was like, what? Henry Winkler will come in and read. That's crazy. And they said, yeah, he wants to work. He'll come in and read. And it wasn't the perfect fit. So the producers didn't, you know, respond in that way. But when we went okay. to meet with, um, Alec and Bill yeah, and I said, there's one way to go. How about what if it's like Henry Winkler and the whole, <laughs> like the whole room just got really quiet and they were like, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, wow. That is, you know, and then that starts the dialogue yes. and then it's, you kind of just keep massaging it and he'll come in and read. And they were like, what? I said, yeah, he'll come in and read. And so he did. And then there you go. So that was, I think, wow. exciting. Um, it's just sometimes having to bend an ear. Bend an ear. It's about imagination. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the question, you know, we always hear actors, how do I get in the room? How do I get in the room? And I always say, mm-hmm. do good work and we'll find you. Like with yeah. regards to Handmaid's Tale, yes, Yvonne Strahovski had a body of work in television. However, I had just seen her on a play, in a play on Broadway. Yes. And I actually didn't like the play, but I loved her performance. Mm-hmm. I was okay. so mm-hmm. impressed with her because I thought she went so beyond the beauty that she is. Mm. Yeah. And that was fun to have her come in and same yeah. thing, just as a note to actors, when you get to a certain place, when you want to do good work, you go in and read. And she was in a position where she should have been offer only, but right. she said, I'm going to fight for this. Right. I want to do this kind of work. So yeah. that was an exciting thing to present to our producers and everybody who might have just thought of her from her other two TV shows. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And when you say go do good work, that's in any medium, that's theater, but also you guys go to showcases and Mm -hmm. comedy and improv as well. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. Local stuff. And then I assume my other question is how much TV or how much media are you watching? It must be a lot. lot. A lot. But we also have a wonderful staff. You know, there's 10 of us. And not any one person now can see everything. No. But usually within our staff, and we're very collaborative with our everybody. You know, sometimes we go, we can't think of someone. Everybody give us three names. And, you know, somebody will have seen something. Cool. Mm -hmm. Or if you haven't seen it, and somebody tells you, oh, go watch Sarah Cooper. This she show. does these great impressions. You'll go, oh, uh-huh. haven't seen that on YouTube. You just go watch it. Yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, whatever, whatever it is. Yeah, very cool. Um, this is so, I wanted to get my Henry Winkler mug because I have it right over there. I have Henry Winkler as Gene Cousin out. <laughs> it's a mug. Anyway, um, this I is so it. lovely. Thank you guys so much. Do you have any parting words of wisdom for listeners of this podcast who want to know how to live a life in the arts, live the life in the arts and make it about the work. So if you want to be an actor act, you don't have to, if you want to be famous and you want endorsements and you want then be a YouTuber or a, you know, um, reality TV show star. If you want to be an actor, it doesn't matter how long it takes. Right. You know, if you want to be a musician, a singer, it doesn't matter how long it takes because it's a part Mm -hmm. of who you are. It's a piece and it's there. And it's, you know, Sharon and I both started out performing and, and, and learned quickly and thank God that, you know what, (laughs) that's not the, that's not the piece of this puzzle for us. We belong somewhere else. Yeah. And so we, and we did it. And, um, but if, 
you, in terms of acting, I'll just speak to that. If you want to be an actor, go act. Hmm. I mean, go to CVS and ask for your prescription with an accent. I don't, you know, create a character. (laughs) Totally. If you're listening to the podcast, you're already doing something to educate yourself further. And I think, yeah, you have to continue to educate themselves. All mm-hmm. through they never stop working at it. You know, I remember um, Robert Patrick, who's just a great actor. He mm-hmm. works with his coach every Sunday before he goes to the set on Monday. Oh, okay. Every week. So when he shows up on a set and he is ready to go, everybody mm-hmm. around him is like, whoa, shit, you know? Um, yeah. mm-hmm. But if, I think you need a real a really strong and dedicated work ethic. So, because it is a difficult career and there is a lot of rejection and people have to give you permission to do the craft. But I think to what Sherry was said, there's so many times you can play and that's what great acting is. Mm -hmm. Yep. In practice, you know, do your accent at Starbucks. (laughs) Yeah. That's great. And I love this idea that it's not, if you're, if you're in it to reach a point, I mean, it's essentially, it's about the journey and not the destination thing of, Mm-hmm. you can act now currently in this moment and not, I'm not an actor until I become famous. That's the wrong thinking. Correct. Yeah. I also think that listen to this podcast is my favorite piece of advice I've heard on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I listen to some podcasts, um, well, with the writers of our shows and I've learned so cool. much about their thinking going into the show because and we don't helps you. in the writer's room. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool too. Yeah. yeah. And there's so much of that content out there too, for sure. Wonderful. Okay, gosh, we got some, this is so great. I can't wait to like write this up and release it into the world. Thank you both so much for joining us. And at the same time, um, technology, the wonders of technology never cease to amaze me. (laughs) Yeah, thank you very much. Our pleasure. This was so lovely. Thank you. In the Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Grouse Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks as always to our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope.